So Money Episode 953, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host Priya Malani, founding partner of Stash Wealth. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Friday, October 18th, 2019. How's everybody doing? I want to just give a shout out to everybody who joined me last Friday for our Pitch Please Workshop. Anyone out there want to get more promotion and media for their brand or their business? Question mark. Uh, Let's talk because this has become quite the the event that Susie Moore and I, uh, my friend Susie Moore and I host this. uh, Now it's been three times this year, this one day event in New York City where we bring all of our friends in the media from places like NBC and Oprah Magazine and the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And they're all there to help our guests People may be out there listening to the show right now, running a business. They want to get their name out there. They want to become the go-to person in their specialty, in their expert field. And we had about 25 entrepreneurs join us for this special event. And it's a really jam-packed day of workshopping story ideas and then actually pitching them to these media folks. And a lot of people walk away with not just relationships with the media, but the very likelihood of getting placed in a lot of these publications. We've got already testimonials of people saying, I got a, you know, a spread in Oprah magazine. I got featured on NBC, et cetera, et cetera. So there are results. And that's, I think for me, a really rewarding opportunity and experience, right? You always want to feel like you're making an impact, um, hopefully. So this, uh, we've done it three times already in 2019. We're going to do it again in March. So if you're interested in joining us for this one day event, although we will do it multiple times, hopefully again in 2020, the next one's March 6th, 2020. Um, get in touch. You can DM me on Instagram. You can email me, or you can just go to the website at pitchpleaseworkshop.com and check out all the deets. Okay. Now our free 15 minute money session this week goes to someone in the review section of iTunes. And that is Jacques of all trades who left on October 16th, a review called great food for thought. I discovered so money this summer and have cranked through dozens of episodes, both the interviews and the Ask Farnoosh episodes. I appreciate Farnoosh's engaging interview style and her ability to get her guests to share insights into their own journeys with money and life, but also to pull out key tips for listeners to bring into our own lives. In the midst of life's financial challenges, so money is a great source of concrete tips and broader inspiration. Jacques, thank you so much and welcome to the show. I love knowing that people are coming to the show every day for the first time, and it's a lot, 900 plus episodes, and just my advice is pace yourself, uh, but if you do want to you know, concentrate on particular episodes that relate to things like debt or family and finances or investing, a very simple thing is to go onto the So Money Podcast website, and I have categorized a good bit of the episodes. So you can search by category or just search by keyword, and hopefully you'll find some more pertinent episodes that way. 
Let's get in touch. Email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv and let me know that you are the Jacques who left the review on iTunes. You can also direct message me on Instagram and let me know there, but definitely get in touch and then I'll follow up with a way to schedule a call. And so, hey, everybody, I'm giving away free 15-minute money phone sessions with me, voice to voice. Every week, I announce one person on Fridays. I go to the iTunes review section and pick at random a recent review in the last week. And that's what I'm doing. I think it's fun to connect with people one-on-one. It's important for me to know what is actually on your money mind and, you know, just have a real life conversation with you offline, off the internet, off Instagram and off the podcast. So if you're into that and the way that I'm picking people is by celebrating uh, reviews left on iTunes. We're at 990 reviews. 10 more to go. We'll get to lucky 1,000. Thanks to everybody who has written a review. I'm sorry I can't give everyone a free 15-minute money session, but you can always ask me your questions on the Friday episodes by sending me your questions through direct message on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi and then send me your question. Another way is to go on the website at somoneypodcast.com and click on Ask Farnoosh and submit there. All right. It is Friday and I thought I want to bring on a, a co-host who has been on before with success, and she's been a guest on the show, as well as a friend on the Friday episodes, Priya Milani, who is the founding partner of Stash Wealth. A lot of us who are looking for you know, a trusted advisor online that really understands where we're at in our lives. Maybe we're making good money, but we're not able to really get ahead, quote unquote, get ahead, because we've got things like student loans or credit card debt, but we are... Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, we are Henry's, as Priya likes to call us, you know, high earners, not rich yet. It's a lot of people, especially within the millennial cohort. And so she knows a lot about what is uh, really the, the, what are the serious issues facing millennials and Gen Xers today. Her firm, her team is doing a lot of innovation to support this, this, you know, this great community, a lot of us listening. And so Priya, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to catch up. It's been a, it's been a minute. <laughs> Thanks, Varnoosh. I'm thrilled to be back. And lots of changes on your end too, right? You were here earlier, I think maybe over in the summer you were on the show yeah. and you've since made a big move. You're growing the company. Tell us all the updates. Yeah, absolutely. So our firm, Stash Wealth, is based in New York and we recently expanded and opened up an office in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, to grow a team that will ultimately be our army of financial planners that will really service the country. So we're already supporting Henry's in over 35 states and we're going to continue to grow that that and make sure that we're able to to help all the Henrys around the country get their financial shit together. <laughs> so just to recap, because it, I get new listeners every day, I want everyone to understand what is Stash Wealth and what is the real value that you're providing that is exclusive. Yeah, absolutely. So Stash Wealth is a virtual financial planning and investment management firm for uh, those Henrys, as you as we say, uh, high earners, not rich yet. These are 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings who are making good money and just want something to show for it. They really can't go to the typical, um, more traditional financial institutions because those financial institutions don't want to talk to you unless you have lots and lots of money. And even if you do have lots and lots of money, they'll only address 
investing, right? They'll only help with your investments, not the rest of your financial life. Maybe you have student loans. Maybe you want to upgrade your lifestyle. Maybe you want to quit your job and start your own thing. Maybe you and your significant other are getting uh, married and you want to figure out, should we merge accounts? Like there's all these other aspects to our personal finances that we need support with. And those bigger institutions don't support with that. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have robo advisors. And while they are very, very good technology, um, they don't, they're not that human one-on-one conversation. You don't get that high, high touch sort of service. So Stash Wealth has brought the level of handholding that's available to really, really rich people to millennials, because we believe that the sooner you get access to financial advice and guidance, the more successful you'll be. So at Stash, you get to work one-on-one with a dedicated financial planner who doesn't just address your investments, but also how to keep your boozy brunch lifestyle um, <laughs> and, oh, and how should you allocate your 401k. I know, brunch all day, every day. I used to have brunch, then I had kids. <laughs> And now I just eat on the run or I eat their leftovers. Uh, Everyone, check out our June 17th live interview with Priya. It was one of the funnest um, episodes I'd done all year because I got a chance to do it in front of a live audience. So Priya and I, we were at Luminary in New York City, which is this beautiful space for women and women identified in New York City. And we were we did this what, in front of like 100 people and um, we got to do some live Q&A with the audience. That was episode uh, 900. Nice round number there. Live episode. So check that out if you want more Priya. But you're the perfect guest for this particular Ask Farnoosh episode, Priya, because our first question and a couple of these questions do have to do with making the most of your financial life. But in, in our first question here from Claire is about joining the financial community as an advisor and wondering, you know, what's the future of the business? And so I think you might have some perspectives. Her name is Claire and she's, um, it's so funny because last week, for those of you who listened, I had a question from a 19 year old who wanted to know what to do with $20,000. And I was having a little bit of deja vu and I was like out loud on the episode, I was like, Am I, did I already answer this question or do I just have a cohort of 19 year olds that are always asking me about what to do with their $20,000? And I said, if you are listening and if you have asked me this question also, please let me know because I'm sort of, you know, going crazy here on the other side of the mic. And Claire raised her hand and she said, I was the person two years ago that asked you a similar question about where to invest my $20,000 at 19 years old. Oh, wow. So I don't know if this is a trend yet, <laughs> but it's, uh, awesome. it's unusual. It's unusual. Um, so thank you, Claire. I'm not crazy. But she does also has a question and she says she wants to go into finance and wondering, is it really, quote unquote, worth it? And you obviously have a lot of personal experience with this, Priya. And she says, you know, I love money. I love learning about it. I love talking about it. If I continue to pursue finance for my college major, I want to know that I won't only have a love for it, but that I could make money, that it could be lucrative. She says, I've met people going back to school for science degrees after graduating in finance because the digital world is replacing a lot of finance jobs. So what are our thoughts? I mean, she's not wrong. I think there definitely is a a fraction of those, you know, maybe strictly data-driven, numbers-driven, data analysis jobs, investing jobs even, you know, that are that are being moved over to um, machine learning, artificial intelligence. I mean, you talked about these automated platforms, which are in many ways replacing humans manage investing your money. 
But I guess it's not really to say that that's where the whole industry is headed, right? There's still a lot of pockets of opportunity for humans. I mean, you at least that's what you're betting on. Uh, <laughs> yep, definitely. I've always believed that there was a place for human financial advisors because money is so emotional. Um, you know, we say at Stash, 80% of what we do is therapy. Um, and until robots can provide humans with the level of coaching and, and emotional support and therapy for all lack of a better word, uh, it, it, humans will always be part of the industry. Now that's not to say, and, and I think Farnish, you said this is that the industry is consolidating, uh, and a lot of the, the traditional jobs are getting, um, moved over to, to more tech solutions because it's, well, a lot of the impetus was 2008, 2009, right after the great recession, I think, uh, wall street sort of lost the trust of our generation and a lot, a lot more than our generation. And it gave rise to these automated technology platforms. Uh, a lot of us feel very comfortable with technology. And so, so we, even with our money, we're very happy to, to engage, but there's so much more to providing financial advice and guidance than just the math of it, just the numbers. So, uh, yes, I am betting on the fact that humans will always be part of, um, yeah, the solution. And, and just to add to that, I think Claire, I would say that it's really important to not just say, I love it and I want to make money. What is your purpose? What is the outcome that you want to provide the impact that you want to create in this space. And it may make sense to go back to school or at, while you're in school, school, get a minor or a double degree in something that can complement the finance degree. So Preya just mentioned- you know, I mean, that, psychology. Right. Like money is so emotional and there is definitely a growing industry of financial therapists. There have been a number of them who've come on this podcast and even just having an understanding of the way the human brain works, maybe taking a couple of courses in behavioral economics or behavioral science, I think could really be a great supplement to your financial, to your finance major and really differentiate you as you go out into the workplace to try to land that great job. Yeah. Yeah. And Claire, if you uh, love educating and helping people um, as much as the the numbers part, uh, you know, contact us when you graduate. Yeah. I hear they're hiring at Stash 12. (laughs) Uh, okay, Royce has a question also along the same lines of becoming an expert in finance. He says, do you need any certifications to be a financial coach? I've been fiscally responsible. I've read and listened to a wide variety of personal finance experts, and I followed certain philosophies. I've been thinking about doing a side hustle where I could coach and help people who want personal finance help. So I think that the rule here is really like if there is sort of a hard and fast rule with giving advice in the financial space and the requirements as far as certifications go, my understanding is that if you want to give people investment advice, you need to be certified for that. And there are different kinds of licenses. And, you know, there's obviously the sort of the CFP designation too, which is certified financial planner. But if you want to just have a side hustle in this, I don't know if you want to go for the CFP. The CFP is really for those who want to make this their full-time designation and occupation. And, you know, to to renew that designation, you need to show evidence of like working one-on-one with people every, you know, so for so many hours every year. Um, there are financial coaching certifications out there. They're all very different. I actually did a story about this for Oprah Magazine. I'll put it on 
in the show notes for this episode. I'll see if they have uh, the link still alive out there in the ether, but I'll try to put that in the show notes so that you can at least find some of those resources and just check them out. But Priya, I mean, you're obviously super certified and you have all the education, but what, what do you think? I mean, it kind of just depends on what you want to do, right? Yes, definitely. You can do financial coaching from like an educational capacity, but that obviously limits, like you said, Farnoosh, the amount, the amount and types of information you can provide. So you wouldn't necessarily be able to hold yourself out as an investment advisor or securities advisor that does require licensing. But as far as coaching, technically there are no certifications required. Of course, if you're looking to build a business around this, your to be clients would want you to have some sort of certifications that you can just point to, but you don't technically need them to be able to coach people um, on more general or or, uh, general personal finance topics. It's also important if you're going to go into this industry to really figure out what is your distinct point of view that's going to necessarily be different because you know if you're just kind of going to give like plain vanilla advice um that's not really your edge your edge is is you it is kind of your story and your perspectives you know, personal finance is personal. So people on the receiving end of the advice usually want to work with somebody that they can feel is like-minded. They have sort of a similar perspective on life. So I would take some time to think about that and go through some of those exercises because, you know, you're not here to help everybody. You're here to help the very precise people that are aligned with sort of your values and your point of view and your perspectives. And of course, the financial advice is the same wherever you go in terms of like spend less than you make and you know pay off your credit cards. Like we all can all agree on those basic principles, but it's how you're communicating it and you know, I guess the diversity that you bring to the table is also really important. Okay, Uli NYC just started listening to the podcast, Priya, and I want to say thank you, Uli, for joining the show. It's always great to um, meet the new listeners. Hope it's been helpful. He says, I want to run an issue by you that I'm dealing with right now. I've heard some similar cases on your Friday listeners' questions to mine. So here's the situation. Uli says, I'm currently $25,000 in credit card debt, currently part-time student for my master's, but I'm paying some of those loans using my salary and my credit card. I've been thinking of consolidating my debt by using a third-party loan service or you know, getting a third-party loan to pay off the credit cards because here's the annoying thing. He's paying about $350 to $400 a month alone in interest. And uh, the concern though, is that with consolidating your debt, the concern is that this might take a big hit on his credit score. His credit score was at 710, but it dropped to the mid 600s because of his credit usage. So what would you recommend? Income is about 68,000 a year before taxes. And I have a substantial apartment rental that I cover. Thank you. Is this a Henry? Do you think that Uli qualifies as a Henry yet? Uh, While 68,000 is a very good income, typically uh, Henry's, we like to see a little bit more in savings um, before engaging 
right? So uh, still a high income, but it, there are a lot more variables. Actually, our, on our website, we have a quiz called Am I a Henry quiz? And it <laughs> it allows you to kind of go through and it's a very complicated algorithm that asks, that analyzes all the different aspects to your financial situation, including your debt and your income and your savings and, and student loans and other things. And then, and then it decides if you're a Henry or not. Um, so what I would say here is, first of all, Uli, I mean, good for asking the question and, and trying to get on top of this and, you know, really looking for, for advice. Uh, we need to stop the credit card. We need to stop putting your student loan payments on your credit card, even part, even part in part. Is that what I understood, right, Farnoosh? That yeah, he's correct, he's right? That's what he's doing. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, assuming that you're not planning to buy a house or a car in the next few years, I'd be less focused on your credit score and much more focused on paying down your debt, uh, especially that credit card debt first. So typically what we first do is we try to move someone to a 0% credit card, but based on Uli's credit score may not get approved. Uh, and if you know he does, it definitely won't be for the full amount. So the next thing you might consider would be to look at a personal loan. Uh, to consolidate some of that debt. Um, you can use a site like Credible because the reason I talk about Credible and I like Credible is just because rather than a, a single provider, they aggregate multiple lenders and you can kind of apply and see what the rates would come back across all the different lenders in one shot. So it's a time saver. And then it allows you to decide if you should move forward with that. But um, getting that credit card payment annihilated, getting that credit card debt down is going to be instrumental to that end. Could you find a new roommate situation? Do you need to keep your rent at that level? <laughs> right. Uh, are you quote unquote, as we put it, living a lifestyle you can't afford? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you said. I think that at $25,000, that credit card balance, you might be able to find one or two private loans, personal loans that could cover that. And on Credible, you can you can compare interest rates. You know, I don't know what your credit card interest rates are, but if you're paying, you know, hundreds of dollars alone in interest, I'm sure it's in the double digits. With a private loan, you might get something closer to like 10%, depending again on your credit score. It, it, the math could definitely work in your favor. So that's definitely a worthwhile exercise. As far as it hurting your credit score, doing what Preya just prescribed, which is taking out another loan to pay off your credit card debt, um, I don't see that as detrimental to your credit score. No. Um, I think that where the confusion sometimes is with sometimes debt consolidation or debt reduction is that um, some of these programs, right, that they, have, they do a lot of marketing and they're very aggressive. They're like, we can get you out of debt in like six months. What they sometimes do is they negotiate with your creditors to pay off your debt for pennies on the dollar, which can definitely hurt your credit because what the how that gets reported on your credit report is that uh, you didn't pay it in full. You didn't pay off this debt in full. It was settled, quote unquote settled. And that's kind of a, a red flag for credit score calculators. But in this case, you're just kind of moving the balance to another debt form, a debt uh, vehicle, essentially with a lower carrying cost, interest rate, and you're, um, you're paying down that credit card. Now, um, yeah, I think your expenses are worth reviewing. And you, you said it. I mean, sometimes people tell you what they need to do. They just want reassurance. Mm -hmm. I mean, you did bring up the substantial apartment rental. Is that something that you can adjust by getting a roommate, um, subleasing it, and moving in with someone else where the rent is going to be more affordable? I would really, if I were you, would want to know when I graduate, 
what is my average salary going to be? What is the likelihood of making more than I am now? Um, what are the starting salaries for people with my master's degrees? Because I think that's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. If you know that in the at the end of this program, which might be in the next year, that you're going to be making 50% more or 30% more, you know, that's also something to keep in mind that this could just be a messy middle situation that you're in. Just make sure you keep head above water, that you don't ever, you know, fall behind, get become delinquent. And once you graduate and get that bigger salary, you can really become a, more aggressive with this debt. What do you think, Priya? Is that a, is that, is that a fair enough to say? Smart. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you're just gonna have to deal with some this mess, you know, but because like you got a lot going on. You got your job, you got school, you've got the credit card debt, but you're working towards a bigger goal of, you know, being happier in your career and making more money. And I think, you know, if you remember that, commit to that, you'll you'll be able to get out of debt even faster when you graduate. Okay, Marissa says, Hey Farnoosh, you are my go-to podcast while working out or hiking. Marissa, I love you. I'm not doing any of those things at the moment. I'm not working out or hiking, I wish. So I'd like like to know that I can live vicariously through some of my listeners. She says, thank you for so much food for thought. Any advice on how to manage properties where only one partner owns them? So here's the situation. Marissa's in her mid-30s. Her family has always had independently owned commercial properties and a few single family home rental properties that they rent out. She is now engaged to be married in the next year and currently discussing a prenuptial agreement with her partner and she's stuck. She says, my partner is very handy and creative and wants to help work with the properties and the business. The tasks that he's interested in range from fixing fences and meeting repair people to potentially starting a new revenue stream from the ground up. He wants the ability to be reimbursed for the work that he contributes without it being defined in advance in case of a divorce. Are there any books, any advice that you'd recommend for us? She says, prenup lawyers have are very unfamiliar with uh, young women with assets and they fail to acknowledge the unique emotional financial pressures. Wow. So first of all, kudos to Marissa for, you know, taking the step, which is, again, it can be really hard and emotional to bring up the idea of a prenup, you know, as you're engaged, it's not romantic. Uh, actually, we have a, uh, we have a blog post on Stash's blog called prenup. Prenups are for lovers. Uh, <laughs> but I under, I know what you're saying. And it's so true. Love is so sacred to us that we can, you can't bear to make a decision that even hints at a possible end. Uh, but yeah, kudos to Marissa for, for taking the step. It's difficult, but definitely important. And similar to disability insurance, you don't get a prenup planning to, to get a divorce. You don't get disability insurance to planning to be disabled. We are both friends with Ramit Sethi, who is a financial author, New York Times bestselling financial author of the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. He just got married in the last year. And in the updated version of his book, um, he talks about his process for getting a prenup. And and he probably would agree with you, Marissa. It's not a simple task. It should be a lot easier. But I guess, hey, you know, Claire, if you're still listening to this episode, this might be an area for you to jump into and and get some expertise on because the fact is more women are out there making the money, in some cases making more money in their relationships, 
And so it's not just men asking for prenups, it's women as well. And I think it's smart. I think younger people are also curious about, you know, how to protect their assets. And so we have an idea for you, Marissa. I'll let you go first, Priya, because I, I have some thoughts and I know you have some thoughts, but let's let's work, let's help her out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, interestingly enough, I know that part of the issue is finding a, a, a the right uh, marital attorney, but there definitely are out, they definitely are out there. We have some awesome female attorneys at Stash help clients with this kind of thing. So they're out there, but just like the wealth management industry, this industry is more guys than women. So it just takes a little bit more time to find the right person. Um, we, I mean, you, you can definitely structure this. And the great thing about the prenup is you define how you want it written. There's no rules. Um, so whether you and your significant other decide to scope out the work ahead of time, put a value on it, and then add that to the prenup, um, so that you can, should things come to it, should, should it come to that, um, you have predetermined the value of the engage, of his, his, his contribution. I think that is probably the cleanest and simplest way to handle it. Wouldn't you say Farnish? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I think if your husband or husband to be wants to find a way to be compensated as part of a, you know, member of this, of this, I guess, real estate business that your family owns. I think separately, we need to define that and create a scope of work and have that be contracted. And that's completely separate from, you know, what you identify in the prenup. Yeah. And and I I would say too, and, and like put a value to that too. Like, like, okay, so if he wants his scope of work to be handiwork and maybe being the mediator between like, you know, the repair people and the the residents, I think that you lay it all out, you spell it all out, you you add like kind of a compensation structure to that. Like here's you negotiate it. Here's what I think will pay you for to do all these things. You can always revisit this contract every year and update it. But ultimately it does sound like Marissa wants to retain control of the family business and that can be explicitly laid out in your prenup. It also depends on what state you live in. Some states um, are more like clear cut about how a divorce proceeding will go without a prenup. There are these, um, you know, community property states. I think there's nine of them. California is one of them where it's, if you don't have a prenup, everything is split down the middle. So in those states, you definitely want to have something else in writing if you don't agree with the state's divorce proceedings. Yeah. I was just going to say, in addition to our recommendation of specifying scope of work, if that feels too granular and, and too nitpicky, you could also come up with more of a flat amount that you and your significant other agree upon. Like, uh, for whatever work that you provide, it's going to be at a rate of like, a, let's say $500 or a thousand dollars. You just make, I'm just making up these numbers a month. And for however long you've been married at the time, if the marriage ends, you can calculate it based on this flat rate. So you don't have to go into right. it up front, like scoping every single project out. That's a really good point. And I, I'm thinking about her husband here, like how would I like to be compensated? I think that if he is going to start new revenue streams for the business and just like any other salesperson, maybe it's a commission structure, you right. know, so that he feels even more incentivized to go out there and do this. Cause I think that would be really great for the bottom line. Um, one thing that Ramit did again, going back to his book before, I think before drafting the prenup was actually meet with a financial therapist. Uh, he's talked about this because 
what they realized, and maybe you'll realize this too in your conversations with your partner, Marissa, is that while it's maybe very clear to you what needs to happen, it's not so clear to your partner or vice versa. And what's the what the crux of the issue is, is not necessarily... You know, what you're arguing about or what you're uh, discussing. Exactly. This is a really- it's something much deeper mm-hmm. and it could be how you both, you know, relate to money or the value that you put to on money and, um, your, you know, your family history. I mean, you come from a family where this is the norm. You run these commercial properties and he's kind of new to that. Um, so he doesn't maybe feel like quote unquote part of the team. And how does, how does everybody get on the same emotional map as well as the same technical map. So it could be where you invest a couple of hours or sessions with a therapist to just get you guys on the same page, which could make the whole, you know, prenup process all the all the smoother. But um I love my audience, can I just say? I think this is such a smart and savvy question and they're all all of these questions, but you know, it just really is a reminder of just how privileged I am and we are to be able to connect with this audience because it, it's a, it's just it makes me hopeful. <laughs> there's a lot of doom and gloom out there, and like yes, there's like lots of terrible things happening in the financial world, and but but people have their heads on straight. It sounds like, and then this is complicated stuff. And but just the, by virtue of like putting yourself out there and listening to a podcast and asking the right questions, I feel like you're like a hundred steps ahead. All right. Last question. Do we have time for one more? I think, can you stick around with Absolutely. us? Absolutely. Okay, great. Olivia, struggling with her finances right now, but hoping we can help. Some background on Olivia. Currently makes 52000 a year, two years out of college. She has $27,000 in student loan debt and 3000 in credit card debt. She's trying to pay each of these down regularly. And she also contributes to a Roth IRA but a lot of times she feels like she doesn't have enough money to save by the time her expenses are paid. So what can she do? She's hoping to pay off her credit card debt, ASAP, begin an emergency fund, build up her savings. She really wants budgeting advice at this point and um, wants to be able to move out of uh, the home of her home within the next year, um, but wants to feel more financially stable before doing so. Um, it sounds like maybe she's living with her family. I, I, it's not clear, but it sounds like she's hopefully not paying any rent. And if that's the case, my first tip would be pretend like you are and save that money every month or at least half of it. The, the, you know, if you're going to be living with family rent free, take advantage of it, leverage it, you know, assume you're, you are actually paying a market rate for your rent and tuck that money away. And then you'll be able to, you know, leave with probably your first six months <laughs> rent in the bank for your new apartment. Um, I don't, I, I'm not super scared about her student loan debt amount and her credit card debt amount. I think this is definitely manageable, right? Yeah, definitely manageable. But what I would add to this is when you're carrying debt often, well, first of all, Olivia, you are saving by putting money into a Roth. That is savings. So I don't want to you know, overlook that just because it's going to saving for the far off future doesn't mean it's not saving. But to that point, often when you're carrying debt, it doesn't actually make sense to save 
mathematically. So while you feel like it's smart and it's the responsible decision, you're taking one step forward to take two steps backwards mathematically. The saving, the savings that you're doing even to the Roth IRA is actually being counteracted by, by the interest rate on your debt. Um, so typically if you want to move forward faster, I would actually, and this doesn't sound like sound financial advice, but ignore your savings and put as much as possible towards debt until at least the credit card debt is, is gone. I'm specifically focusing about the credit card debt because you, that one step forward is actually three steps backwards when it's credit card debt. It's only like two steps backwards when it's student loan debt. It's not nearly as bad. So as soon as the credit card debt is gone, you know, and Farnoosh, perhaps you're familiar with the 70, 20, 10 rule. Um, but typically when you're balancing your lifestyle plus student loans, you would want to break down your income as follows. 70% going towards life. That includes rent, but it also includes boozy brunch, rosé, frosé, avocado toast. Um, 20% going towards your student loans and 10% saving towards the future. And you mentioned like the emergency fund. All of those are very, very awesome goals. Um, but get, since that credit card debt is so not that big a deal, it's so small, get rid of it. So you can be kind of ground zero and moving fo- moving po- in the positive direction. Uh, and, and actually going somewhere rather than like walking on the treadmill and you feel like you're going somewhere, but you're really just staying in the same spot. I, I agree. I mean, my only concern is that without any savings liquid that, if something happens to her where she can't work or bring in money that she's going to go and, you know, add to the credit card balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, sure. but you're, you know, she sounds like she's employable and that she's living at home, I think. So there's not a lot of risk, financial risk. Um, she's not going to like get evicted or things like that. So it sounds like she could probably aggressively pay off this credit card debt pretty quickly. Look, tax season is coming up with that next refund that you get, just assign that to the debt. Um, maybe at the end of the year, you do get a little bit of a bonus, assign that to the debt. I feel like lump sum windfalls are always a great opportunity to aggressively pay off um, the, that high interest debt. And I just see myself so much in Olivia. I mean, I feel like I was at one point in the same boat making around 50000 a year. I had almost $30,000 in student loans. I had credit card debt. And to be honest, what helped me was making more money on the side. And and I don't know how old she is, but she says that she, I think she said she's, um, sounds like she's in her 20s because she's like still living at home with her family. I would recommend while you have the capacity, <laughs> you know, no kids, not a whole lot of like financial obligations outside of these student loans. You don't have like a mortgage and you don't have any other kind of time constraints that you find an extra revenue stream. Even just making an extra $100 or $200 a month could help to accelerate this $3,000 credit card balance. And who you never know where that side hustle could lead you. Mm. It's more, it's it just opens up your world and your community and your network and, you know, your vision for the future. You might be inspired to like just go full steam with that side hustle at some point like I did. So I want to leave with that bit of um, optimistic advice that, you know, maybe getting another revenue stream, which sounds like a total time suck, could end up being, you know, just a, a brighter future for you in many ways, Olivia. So thank you for your question, Olivia, Marissa, Yuli, Royce, Claire. Claire, thank you for reminding me that I'm not 
yet going crazy. And Priya Milani, as always, thank you for gracing the podcast and tell us how to best, you know, connect with you and learn more about Stash Wealth. Yeah, absolutely. Check us out at stashwealth.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stash Wealth and you can find me at Priya Milani Official. We're going to have you back in the new year because you got a lot of exciting updates to share how more people can get involved and learn from you and your team. So thank you very, very, very much. And everybody, I hope your weekend is so money. Money.